Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the massive changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. break for the Yamam Taivim. We're now back to a very long winter, and I hope that over the course of this winter, I'll be able to bring you interesting topics and discussions and conversations about Chinuch, as we've been doing for the last year and a half. And as I continue to request from the audience, if you have any topics that you'd like me to bring up, or any possible guests that would be of interest, please let me know by sending an email to the show. Today's conversation is with Mrs. Alexandra Fletcher, who is a freelance writer from Cleveland, and many of you have seen her articles in Mishpacha magazine. The advantage of speaking with a writer is that a writer has to be tuned in to issues that our community faces so that they bring up awareness about very important topics, obviously with the goal of bringing about much-needed changes and improvements. But also, because she is not a member of the professional chinuch system, she's able to have a clear and objective view of situations that arise, and she's able to see how extensive the problem really is without sugarcoating it. So what's going on? You might not be aware of this, but the schools are facing a huge teacher shortage. There are not enough teachers who are qualified and willing to teach our children, as you will hear in our conversation. In out-of-town schools, this problem is critical. But even places like Muncie and Brooklyn are feeling this very strongly. And Lakewood is next. In my daughter's high school in Farakaway, one of the classes are being taught by a girl who just came out of seminary with zero experience and is only three years older than her students. We spend a lot of time discussing the problem and how it's affecting our children directly. But we also talk about what the possible solutions are. So before we start the conversation, I want to bring up something that I suggested casually in our discussion, but it's not something that you're going to hear from the Chinuch establishment. Maybe, just maybe, we're overdoing it, and this problem can be made much easier to deal with by reducing the number of teachers that we need to teach our children in the first place. I'm not talking about starting to teach our children with computers, of which we devoted many episodes discussing that possibility. And I'm not even talking about the idea championed by Yoel Judowitz, which is to use facilitators instead of teachers. You can go back to that earlier episode where he told us about his very radical idea. It would be very helpful in dealing with this teacher shortage. I'm simply referring to the number of classes that our children are being subjected to. My daughters in high school have about 15 different teachers 
every week. Most of the teachers don't even know the names of the students they teach. Do they really need so many teachers? Are all of those subjects that they're being taught really necessary for them to learn properly? What is the point of all these classes anyways? Perhaps, just maybe, this teacher shortage is a wake-up call for our system. What is the very purpose of school? Why are we sending our children to school? What do we want them to gain from school when they go? And are we doing a good job with the number of teachers that they have now? Pretty soon, schools are going to have to make radical changes because they simply won't have enough teachers. So let's start the conversation now on how we as parents want those changes to be like. Let me bring you my conversation with Alexandra Flexer. So we're talking with Alexandra Flexer. You must have seen her article somewhere if you're anywhere reading Jewish publications. Welcome, Alexandra. Thanks so much for having me. So you're the one who makes trouble when you write articles in Mishpacha. That's you. <laughs> I guess my husband must be proud of that. But yeah, that's me. <laughs> how did you How did you uh, get started with this, with, uh, with your writing profession and, and you know, where you get your ideas for your, all these very, very, uh, uh, you know, these, these uh, I should say, not controversial topics, but very uh, lively topics. Um, so I started writing, I want to say about six, seven years ago. Um, basically, well, well, let me just backtrack. I am an English major. So, and I'm, I was an English teacher for 15 years. So definitely love writing, love teaching writing. That's a passion of mine. Um, and, but I hadn't really done any formal type of writing and I've always been a big reader of like the Jewish blogs. Like, I don't know if you're familiar with Cross Currents or I guess like Adler's scene, always been very like communal minded, love following all the, you know, all the issues as a high school, I would read all the back issues of, you know, Jewish Observer. That was, that was always my thing. Um, so try to keep my finger on the pulse. And I wrote a piece for, for Cross Currents. I submitted something to Rabbi Adler'sine out of the blue. Um, it was an, about an event that I had run here in Cleveland. Um, transition, transitioning sort of the, the topic of, you know, supporting our husbands from learning to supporting them working, working. Um, that as my husband had left Kolal and went to medical school and then became a doctor, it was something that I was passionate about. I felt one day I just realized like, there's some amazing, like the from, from men really accomplished so much from working men have so much that, you know, that we, we they should be, they, they are heroes. Like there's so much to, um, you know, to give them credit for it. And I felt like they needed, they needed recognition. So I pitched this idea to Rabbi Adlerstein. He published this piece and sort of went viral, which was very exciting for me. It was the first piece I had ever written. And that sort of snowballed into different, you know, freelance writing opportunities. My goal definitely was Mishpacha magazine. It was not family first. I did not want to write in the women's magazine. <laughs> I wanted to continue the kind of work that I was doing, which was writing about communal matters for, you know, a, a global um, general audience. So I said, listen, I, you know, I, I'm an opinion writer. That's what I want to do. I, I want to be in your opinion section and, uh, definitely put my neck out there. My editor said, okay, I'm familiar with your work. Let's give it a shot. And that was mm-hmm. three years ago. And I've been writing, um, alongside Jonathan Rosenblum, Eitan Cobri without my headshot now for three right. years. <laughs> okay. Well, 
So uh, you, you said that you, you, you know, we're, talk, we're talking about the teacher, shortage, the teacher shortage crisis, which we'll get to soon, but you said that you have teaching experience. So, you know, well, yeah. share, share that experience. Well, that must, that, that must give, add a lot of perspective to this. Yeah, sure. So, you know, I'm a writer, I'm def- but I'm a teacher at heart. Um, and that's a passion, you know, passion of mine and certainly motivated me when I sort of discovered, um, I was researching for this article seeing how there's really a, a teacher shortage, both amongst men and women going into Chinuch. And that um, definitely inspired me to, to write this piece. But essentially, I have an undergraduate degree in English communications and a master's in Jewish education. Um, got married. I interviewed. My first interview was at a base Yako. Um, coming in, as I said, with quite an investment in my education, just having finished my master's. And the principal turned around to me and offered me a part-time English high school English teacher position, offering me $12,000 a year. <laughs> and I won't tell you how many years ago that was, but still not livable. <laughs> Sir, as I said, I was very offended because of the amount of money I had invested in my education. Right. But not only that, my husband was learning in Colo. And I mm-hmm. literally laughed. I, mm. I feel bad, but I laughed at the principal's, at the principal's face. And I was like, well, I, I can't support my husband on that. I can't support us on that. And mm-hmm. he said, Oh, well, many mothers, they want to work part-time. You know, this is what they want, the easy schedule. And I'm, you know, I'm roaring to go with, you know, ready to work as much as I could, my first job. And what did I do? I turned around and I went to the community school, like the modern Orthodox community school um, where we were living. And I got paid for a full-time position, you know, over triple that. And I worked there for 10 years and mm-hmm. I could support my family. Not only my husband was learning, but then he went to medical school. Um, and, you know, I, 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 I do notice that, that some teachers will go into the more modern school system because the pay is better. And there are various reasons why, why it is better. Um, that's another discussion. But mm-hmm. um, when, I, when we moved to Cleveland, I did teach um, in a couple of the base Yaakov's here, high school English. Um, and when my husband finished residency, I was like, that's it. You know, I, I'm done. And not that I don't love teaching and any teacher is going to tell you there's like tremendous fulfillment and thrill teaching in a classroom, but certainly like teaching on the high school level and on English, there's tremendous amount of preparation. There's tremendous amount of grading. And I'd be working very late at night. These are unpaid hours. Um, you know, after I put my kids to sleep exhausted and I, I was like, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to work this hard anymore. And um, retention in the girls' high schools on the high school level is very challenging um, because of the amount of preparation, certainly. And obviously, that is you know that 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 is true in many many different you know age levels. But it's it's hard, and that's why I love teaching, Sally. And I see my students, and because they give me physic, and oh, I'm you know I'm in college, and you tell me how to write an essay, and I love it. And it's, there's nothing like the satisfaction of teaching. And yes, I get a little bit of a guilt trip when I remember how much I love it, but um, it just doesn't add up at the end of the day. So I have that personal experience where I really understand those, you know, who, whether we're in teaching and left, it can be, despite the fulfillment, um, it can be hard. So you, you, you think that putting aside any financial considerations, you'd still be teaching now? Um, so I think professionally I did go on a different track. Um, so I'm using various abilities and strengths in a different way that I'm find, finding fulfill, fulfilling. So no, I, you know, I'm not just sitting around doing nothing. I'm definitely, you know, I, I work from home as a writer. So, um, 
but I do try, like I, you know, I do some adult education. I do try to still use it because I, I think I'm definitely like the most fulfilled um, when I'm, you know, teaching and interacting with students, whether they're adults or students. So I need to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Okay, and you feel that the writing gives you that sense of like yeah, I mean, with writing, people. So it's all about communication, you know. It, it's so it, it's a similar field. Um, so yeah, there there are similarities. But no, sitting behind a computer does <laughs> just doesn't 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 hit the same way as being in front of a classroom and you know interacting, engaging with students. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about the the issue at hand, the teacher shortage. So before we get into the reasons behind it, which could take up a whole discussion, let's establish the facts on the ground. Is there a teacher shortage? Yes. So there is a teacher shortage. And the people that I spoke to on the ground, um, particularly Tormasara, who I think is, you know, we can consider an authority here, said, while they hate to use the term crisis, this is a crisis. Um, and that the effects of this will most acutely be felt in the next year or two. Um, The public may not have known that this was a crisis, but those who are doing hiring know it. It is impacted based on location. Okay, so those people who are are in Lakewood may be listening to this and saying, what are you talking about? Teacher shortage, you're 100 rebellion per position. Um, I spoke to... Um, Rabbi Yoel Kramer, who is the head of Merkaz, which is a placement agency in Lakewood, he said, correct, Lakewood is not having this problem within Lakewood, um, but no one wants to leave 50 minutes out of Lakewood. They don't want to go anywhere. So if you've got a wonderful pool of teachers, we need them. And, you know, as long as they're capable and willing and able to move out of the community and give back to locations that are feeling it. The locations that are feeling it the most are out of town. And Torah Masora explained to me that out of town includes certain cities in the tri-state area. Those are actually considered out of town. I'm not going to yeah. name them. Um, well, I could say, I know, I'm not, I'm not tied to any, uh, I'm not I'm not locked into any uh, <laughs> confidentiality. Yeah. I could say that my daughter's school in Farakaway, which is half hour <laughs> from Brooklyn, yeah. needs their teachers bust in from Borough Park. Otherwise, they will not. Wow. A whole bus of teachers from the Hasidic community come and teach my daughters because otherwise they wouldn't have enough teachers. And they're shy, like, Hushkafic-wise? You know, that's what they have. (laughs) Okay, well, that's indicative. I wish I knew that when I wrote my article. (laughs) Um, And another another differentiation is also women and and men um, in terms of shortages. It's It's impacted differently. So, you know, those who are really, really feeling it the most are out of town. And that's actually one of the reasons why I wrote this piece. The, I think sort of like the fire behind the whole thing is my, my husband's Chavrusa came for Shabbos meal, old Chavrusa way back when. And um, now he's ahead of a school in an out of town community, um, a community day school. And he said, he when said, you say out of town I, here, you mean really out of town? I mean, really out of town. Like okay. I live in Cleveland. Yeah. And everyone, <laughs> and we're talking about like a real out of, out of town, town compared to Cleveland. Yeah. In Ohio, in okay. Ohio. Um, and it's a community school, so there are the Rebam kids and they're modern kids. You know, it's a whole gamut. And he said, I have I have no one to hire. And he said the quality And this is for men's kids, for men's positions also. Uh men's and women's positions. He and he was regarding men's, well, I'll, I'll speak to that in a second. He said also the quality um of candidates has decreased. He's been in this position head of school 
think for about 15 years. Um, he said the yeshiva that he usually calls and taps into for candidates turned around to him and said, we don't have anyone to send our, our, our graduates, <laughs> um, you know, are not going into Chinuch like they used to. And he is really, really struggling. Um, and, you know, I grew up out of town. I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. To me, like, this breaks my heart. This breaks my heart. I mean, if you're telling me Far Rockaway is having trouble, can you imagine what these small cities are? This is like, these are like, they need Torah educators. This is key. This is Kiruv. This is Jewish education. This is everything. But when we don't want to leave our bubble and our comfort to go out there and build these communities, what does that mean for the future of American Jewry? I mean, mm-hmm. And the fact that there were yeshivas that in their heyday were providing, you know, the mechanchem and the mechanchos. And my article also addresses Kiruv. Um, and CSY is struggling coast to coast to fill positions. I would think this is still a value, no? Or maybe it's not. Right. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, every, I think people are starting to take notice. I have a 19-year-old daughter, and I asked her, are any of your friends going into teaching? And she said, yeah, they're going to teaching while they're going to college for whatever degree they're going to. So <laughs> in a few right. short years, they're not going to be teaching anymore. And it's right. really just a, a day job while they're doing their, their college at night. So that, you know, mm-hmm. and they're 19 years old. So, you know, my daughter observed that anybody going into high school now or elementary school now is either going to have a teacher that's very old or someone her, of a friend's age, you know, that, that, that's his teaching. So and Absolutely. I, think, I think anecdotally people are seeing that. People are noticing that the teachers, their, 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 their daughter's teachers are very young a lot of times, very often, you know, inexperienced and young. And, you know, if you open up any, any newspaper, any Jewish newspaper and look at the Help Wanted ads, there's, there's plenty of, of uh, open applications, even very close, uncomfortably close to the start of the school year. Yeah. Torah Masara in June, when I published this article, they said, just open up, look at our job board online. There were 90 positions available for the school year at the end of August. They said that's unprecedented. I will just mention there is a teacher shortage in general culture, um, general society, especially post-COVID. There are, um, you know, there are parallels there that could be analyzed. But um, my strong feeling is teaching and education in Chinuch is a backbone of our our belief system and our values as Jews. So it's a little different when our graduates are not going into Chinuch. It's I, I believe it says something um, about our priorities. Um, the financial piece is enormous, which I know we're going to talk about, but um, we can't just stop going to Chinuch. And with girls, we know there, it used to be like the biggest catch of a shidduch was that idealistic girl who's pure, who's going into chinuch, who's teaching. I mean, that was like such um, a badge of honor. And girls are simply not going into education. I, I spoke to um, a dean of a, of a seminary college degree program to keep things vague. And she told me um, she had a fabulously talented student who was in the education track. And all of a sudden she noticed that she had dropped out and she went up to her. She's like, you're like, you're a star. What are you doing? Where did you go? And she's like, oh, I switched. I switched my major. Why? Well, my Rav told me I needed to switch. I need to get out of Chinuch um, for Shaduchim. Wow. Wow. He really told me. That's frightening. 
Yep, that's right. He told her to get out of out of education yes. in order to get a shidduch. Yep. Oh my! Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you Says it all, right? You can't you can't get more explicit than that. Yeah. I, I mean, I I, I call to me that's a crime, and that's how I opened my article. You yeah. know, the piece before that I had published, actually two pieces before, was about fuzzy math. The fuzzy math, which is about yeah. yeah. I mean, essentially, it's about like the financial challenges of the middle class Orthodox Jew, sort of shining light on that. Right, which you know, said is making 200000 a year or more. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, the top 10% of earners, right. you know, are scraping by. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I, you know, I, I said like the tragedy would be after someone read that and tried to crunch the numbers that they decided, oh, I can't go into Chanukh because it doesn't pay. That would be a tragedy. <laughs> so I'm not sure <laughs> what, what to do. We've got two problems um, that a lot of great people have put their heads together and their initiatives, you know, how, you know, how to solve the problem. I guess we should probably- We'll get to that. Yeah, let, let's get to that. Right let's now. get to that separately so that we, we, yeah. we stay like in, in, you know, somewhat organized. Okay, so yeah, so let's talk about the reasons. Like what's, what, what are the theories out there for why, why people don't don't want to go into teaching anymore? Why it's not desirable to to, to be a teacher? Yeah, so I know Mishpacha her- had a few different contributors. You were one of them. Yeah. You had you had some others there. I mean, if you yeah. want to share the, the other theories and your theory, and, and let's uh, let's. Take- I like my theory the best. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, well, I'll quote Tarmasor because they said it the best here. They said. You know, in terms of leaving the base madrash, it's Amazon or Hina, and Amazon is winning. Right. Now, Amazon, you don't need a degree for, you know. So there's a question if, you know, people are, when they leave learning for men right now, you know, are they getting some sort of degree? You know, certain people, you know, there are people definitely who are doing the medical school, dental school route, whatever it is. You know, are they going into businesses, make connections through the cola, whatever it may be, or starting their own, ups, you know, startup businesses, which have risk. But I think there's tremendous pressure for our Balabatim, for our husbands, for our men to provide for their families. I think it comes from a good place. <laughs> I think for a man who says, you know, I want to take care of my family to the, as the best way possible. I want financial security. This is why I'm going into XYZ business. I think that's commendable. Um, so I think with the rising standards of, you know, from living, um, where I heard one of your episodes just recently, you know, how can a couple even afford to buy a house in the tri-state area? The demands, the rising, you know, the, and the rising materialistic standards where, you know, I'm not sure girls really these days are, are ready for the type. There are girls, but in general, girls want it, they want it all. You know, they, 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 they've, they're growing up in cultures where, you know, shopping is a big thing. You know, they're, they're very comfortable when they're a color, they're going to get X, Y, Z. They're going to make sure they look a certain way. They want their forever house. You know, there are lots of like just standards of what's quote unquote normal. Now, like you see what the packages that colleagues get when they first get married. It wasn't like that 20 years ago. So, um, I think there's a lot of pressure, um, to provide. And um, certainly the the tuition challenge. I mean, obviously, there's a whole other thing in terms of getting, you know, getting discounts as a a teacher. But um, I think that is a huge role in this. And the question of idealism. I don't I would hate to say that our systems are not creating idealistic 
um, idealistic students, you know, idealistic graduates, that would be painful. Um, our FNX systems are doing a wonderful job, you know, inspiring. Obviously, they're, you know, they're, of course, students who walk away uninspired. But it would I, I have zero evidence to say that students are just don't, are lacking the drive. Um, I suspect that there's a lack of idealism in the sense of sacrifice. So I, I spoke to people I spoke to, as I said, you know, number of number of organizations and also teachers who said they don't talk about well, with girls. We don't talk about Mysterious Savage for Torah anymore. It falls on deaf ears. No one wants to hear about sacrificing, about giving up in this generation. And there's no question if you're going to move out to some random town <laughs> in Ohio and you're not going to have all the amenities, either, you're not going to, you know, succeed like some of your business, you know, business friends or their husbands who are in business, you're going to be sacrificing. And it's, I think it takes a very special, unique person these days to really want to sacrifice for Torah. Um, apparently the seminaries do talk about it more. Um, it's still something that's discussed, but on the high school level, I've heard that they really, really shy away from addressing it. Again, that's, that's for girls. Mm -hmm. obviously is the last piece I just like to mention. Well, do you know um, why that changed them? Well, well, I mean, why did high school shy away from something that used to be so front right. and center of, of every girl's education? Because I think, as I, I believe it's because the materialistic levels of our communities have raised, um, you know, this whole thing, I, I know I, I have, you know, I, I have five kids. My oldest is 18. My youngest is two. I have, I've, I've been there in terms of the shopping for like the girls, you know, like what's expected, what's normal, you know, how much you spend on a pair of back to school shoes. You know, it used to be only the rich kids dressed a certain way. Now we don't want our kids to be nebuchs, you know, so we also have to dress in that way, but can you afford it? So these are, these are where we're, you know, we're raising a generation of kids where we're all, we've sort of like even the playing fields economically, even if we can't pay for it. And that I think creates a certain standard of expectations. That's just not realistic and not sustainable. And um, I think that is a huge piece of this. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and that's, and, and, and really in the sense that from, from what it sounds like, is like, there's only so much a school could teach when you talk about idealism, idealism is not something you just say and the, and the students accept it. It's their whole culture that really has to cultivate mm -hmm. such an idealism. And if the culture is just pursuing materialism and and right. and and, mon and financial success, maybe out of desperation, maybe out of, maybe out of out of necessity, that could be. But that's the message they're going to get. So even if the and teacher does could, talk about it, if they're yeah. not going to they're not going to absorb it. I absolutely agree. I think role modeling is essential, and I think and Eretz Yisrael is one thing. If you have a Rebbe Amor who's talking about mysterious selfish for Torah living in Eretz Yisrael, you know, it, that's one thing. But I think that our Rebbeim, I hate to say it, but our Rebbeim and Moras, they have to model that too. <laughs> and um, that's not always the case. You know, we sort of like can have it all over here in America sometimes. Yeah, at least, or at least give the, the illusion of, of that. That's middle. right. A lot of illusion. There is yeah. tremendous pressure to appear a certain way. Right. And it trickles down to our children. Right. So it's very interesting. We had, um, we had, I looked through the responses that you got to your article in Mishpach, and Mishpach ran a few weeks, uh, a, a, a series of, of the responses that you got. And I'm sure it's only a, t a tip of the iceberg that came in. <laughs> so you probably know much, much more. That, 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 that a lot of the teachers agreed with your assessment. Like they really felt somewhat like embarrassed by the amount that they were, they were mm -hmm. getting paid. And when they compared it with what's available elsewhere, it's, uh, it's, it's really, it makes things very challenging for them. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. 
So, so there was a, there was a, there was a, a one response that came in from Hillel Adler from the consortium of Jewish State Schools, which is a very wonderful organization. And uh, we had Rabbi Glass actually on our show once, uh, way back when. So he was writing, he claimed that, that you could live out of town as a Rebbe and it could be easier to afford life than if you'd be doing Amazon or real estate in a more expensive <laughs> community. But do you think that's true? Do you think sure, it's possible? I, he was saying based on the breaks that you get and the parsonages absolutely. and things like that. You think yeah, I mean, there, there are neighborhoods here in Cleveland where you could still buy a house for $200,000. And I, I suggested at the end of the piece, um, between the parsonage and between the breaks, I mean, there really can be a pretty decent package that's offered to um, enough professionals. But out of town, everything's easier financially. There is no question. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the, the problem is that when 99% of people are just not going to pursue that option, it's just, it's very hard to get through to that little, that 1% of a, of a possibility that, yeah, you know, you'll be just as good as everybody else. It's a needle in a haystack. (laughs) It is. And this goes back to our original piece about the idealism. You don't go out of town. I mean, all the people do go out of town because it's cheaper, of course. But if you're going to go out of town for a chinuch, you're doing it for idealism. You're doing Mm. it to build communities. Do people still want that? And that's what I don't have an answer to. I would love Mm. to hear from Moshe Yeshiva. I would love to hear if they feel that piece, that drive and idealism to build communities like we've done for decades and decades is missing. Right, right, exactly. And that, if that, and the message that everybody, the kids are getting from the culture all, all around them is saying that, that that's not something to pursue, un- unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Um, you, you, we'll talk, you said you, we mentioned Shadokhan before. So you read my uh, mind, yeah. Yeah, okay, go, yeah, go for it. <laughs> I mean, my daughter's a Shadokhan. You know, yeah. Most people have, have children, Shadokhan. Do, do people want to hear that, that uh, the girl's going for teaching? <laughs> no, they don't. They don't. Um, it just is not bringing in the money. It's not mm-hmm. bringing in the income. And that, as we know, is just part of the resume. You know, it's, it's, it's what, what's she in college for? What's her degree? Um, how much money is she going to bring in? I've heard horror stories of Shizuchan that were turned aside because of not only girls going to Hinnah, but also not as well paying position, paying c- careers. And it's like, it's just all upside down to me. It's just all on its head. Um, and it's, a, it's, I think this is, as I explained in the article, this is like the unintended consequence of the push for Kolo, um, is that our girls are not going to Hina and it is a heavy, heavy price to pay. Mm-hmm. It's affecting not, not just the, the ones, it's not just affecting the boys who are learning. It's affecting everyone else. It's affecting cholesterol. Oh, cholesterol. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, I, and you know, I, as, as I said, like I was a high school, a girl's high school t- teacher. I mean. I would imagine that our girls more than ever need real inspiration in the classroom. Um, they, they really, really need it more than ever. And if we're having a teacher shortage now, when our girls are desperate for it, it's, it's really, cons- I don't mean to sound so alarmist, but it's, it's incredibly concerning for the health of our Jewish communities. Right. Yeah. Uh, and it's interesting that, you, you know, we're talking about the shortage of teachers. I could talk anecdotally again, anecdotally, I don't have hard evidence on this, but uh, the, 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 the fact that the lack of idealism that's, that's causing a, a, t- a shortage of teachers, especially on the girls' side, I think it's happening on the Kohl side as well. And hmm. we are, it used to be, it, it, when I was growing up and when I was, going, when I was in yeshiva, it was very common to see people staying in Kohl 10 years, even up to 10, 15 years. It was not uncommon at all. Today, the average is a lot less than that. 
like even good boys, the learning boys that are getting married, they're, they're, they're not, they don't see themselves staying in college for more than four or five years. And then that's considered a long time now. So in a way, is there any positive where it's just like the elites learners are the ones who are sticking around? I, 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 yeah, I'm not, I'm not saying it's a positive or negative. I'm just, I'm observing mm. this lack of idealism that, that, that's, interesting. That's, or know, lack it's, of willing to sacrifice. It's becoming, it's becoming very acceptable and normal to want to be successful in business as opposed, it's not right. looked down upon like, Oh, you want to go into business and be successful. That's fine. Even for someone who was considered a good learner in yeshiva in the olden days, mm. it was considered, it was considered as a, 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 like sort of like dropping out and, and giving up uh, the opportunity to learn. So I wonder, are you a reader of Mishpacha? Sure. There's a lot. I wonder if you if you would say there's a bit of a glorification of the entrepreneur and and many of our magazines. Oh, absolutely, definitely, definitely, because yeah. because because we're seeing a lot now. We're seeing a lot phenomenon of the the learned balabas phenomenon, mm-hmm. where someone who's a balabas is not embarrassed to go and say a share in his shul or to give a dafyaimi or to be considered looked up and respectable. I don't mean to put him down at all. He's a great guy. Shirley Bornstein, a friend of mine. He's a, he's a, he's a successful businessman and he has 30,000 people listening to his FM this year. And I know that he spends many hours a day preparing for that year. And he has 30,000 people listening to him. It's the biggest year in the world ever. You know, it's, wow. it's, it's really something. But a lot of the success that he's had and, and the reason why people are attracted to him is because he's one of them. You know, he's, mm. he's, 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 a, he's a guy just like them. He's a Balabas. He's not a rabbi. He's not a Rosh Shiva. He's a businessman. Mm-hmm. And, and, and he, he's very good at learning, excellent. And, and, and he's very successful. And he's successful for that reason. So that's just a, 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 another, another example of this phenomenon, the glorification of the learned Balabas. Because like you said before, we can have it all. It could be learned and yeah, and be and be successful. It's not see this. This is music to my ears. This is exactly what my first article was about. You know, 2015, and then um, call perspectives. I did a piece for them. They did a whole issue on the world of the Bob bias. This must have been a year later, 2015, and I did a piece um, from learning to working, adding on another room. I think these. I think I think men like this are heroes. I think they should be glorified. I think yes. they should be given all the credit in the world. Absolutely, very very hard to work in the outside world very hard to find time to learn the the strain of parnasa is enormous and people have to work harder and longer hours than ever i think these types of people are incredible yeah Yeah, i I um, know i know in the olden days the olden days it's about 50 years ago it was looked down upon meaning to say like like i know my father's rosh yeshiva didn't want balabatim to learn in the yeshiva at all because he felt that it would give off the impression to 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 his tamidim that Oh, you could work and learn, you know, that, 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 that it's an acceptable <laughs> option. He didn't want them to think that. Well, just learn. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but, well, yeah. you know, like Dafyomi is like, you know, uh, a yeah. Bisha type of thing. Right. <laughs> the world has changed. I, I think yes. this is a good thing. Yes. Okay. Yes. But it, it still points to this. The fact that it's 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 become so normal, it also shows that the, the idealism is is lacking. There's a lot, there's we, we are we are suffering the lack of idealism. Mm-hmm. I, I just would mention like. There's one thing about being a ball bias, like being a professional, maybe having training, um, you know, whether you went to law school or you went to medical school or dental school, or you have some type of training. And there's another thing to be an entrepreneur, which has comes with much risk and the percentage of people that are successful um, in entrepreneurial entrepreneurial pursuits, you know, it's not that high, but no. when we see um, 
entrepreneurs glorified in our magazines, I am concerned that it gives a certain message that, oh, I also can uh, start right. a successful startup. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. it's much riskier. Right. Oh, it's sure. a lot of, you know, a lot of um, excitement and flash about it. Right. But Hina does not have any of it. Right. 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 There's no there's no excitement about it. Right. Unfortunately, these days. Yeah. I mean, again, just getting back to what we were saying about the, you know, the glorifying the working, the working Balabas, it's still like the idealism is still very much needed if he's mm-hmm. going to be able to be successful at working and devoting time to learning because it's really challenging. As Correct. a working man myself, I know that it's difficult and I know it's very, very, very few are able to do it. I'm happy you mentioned that because that is an idealism that deserves credit for yeah. sure. Yeah. Keeping that apart, keeping that learning a priority and, and finding the time to do so. Right. Okay. So where's this headed? Like, you know, we're talking about yeah. this teacher shortage. Is it just going to raise the price and they're just going to have to skyrocket the salaries of teachers? Is that, is that the only solution for this? Like what, what's going to happen? <laughs> right. That is the question. Um, obviously money can't come from nowhere and, I happened to bump into the head of school that my children go to, the Hebrew Academy. And yeah, I was curious to hear like, what is his position on this? Um, these are the people that have to run the school and run the building and pay the salaries. And I am sure they would love to pay their teachers, but it's not pay their teachers more, but it's not so simple. And there isn't just money out of the blue. Um, as I said, I think this is the key issue here. I think it's the financial piece. I think that's what's dissuading um, potential teachers. Um I think people see how hard mechanchem work. The field of education is probably harder than ever. Parents have very high standards. Um, effective teachers need to stay in touch with those parents. Kids are harder than ever, especially post-COVID. Um, that's a whole other discussion. Discipline. And, and, and we have parents have much higher expectations for what their teachers should accomplish than ever before. So it's, it's not an easy job. And to be paid and compensated so poorly, it's like, why, why would I want to do that? So, you know, there are some initiatives. There's this, um, oh my goodness, I had it in my head before we started and it's in the article. Yeah, the Torah Masora to increase you, Torah Masori, teacher yeah. administrator salaries. And we'll have to add that onto your show notes or something. <laughs> I forgot what it's called. It's the Rebbe something, mm-hmm. um, which is essentially a um, a fund that's, you know, created and, and, and subsidized and subsidized by, um, you know, <clears throat> Uh, people of means in the community as an additional fund. One of the critiques about that is that mowers are not included. Um, mowers must be included. There is a significant pay gap between mowers and rebellion. And if we need mowers and we want our girls going into education, that must be closed. I'm speaking of, again, a mower that puts in the same amount of hours as a Rebbe. Um, th- it's just unacceptable. It, it, that you know, as a, as a female teacher, I'm very strong about this. There, this pay gap has to close. Um, but besides well, I, there's, that, a, there's a pay gap in general. I mean, I know in, the, in yeah. general society, there's a pay gap between, between men and women. Is it is, is in, in, the, in the Jewish world, in the Jewish educational world, is that pay gap more pronounced? Right. Well, I, I can't speak to that. I don't know. You know the numbers. I don't know if there is um, that's been studied, but. The irony, of course, is how many of our women, how many of our female teachers are the are the primary breadwinners um, and supporting their husbands. So they're the primary breadwinner, but they're not making as much as the Rebbe next to them, you know, and they're putting in the same amount of hours. We're not going to attract anyone into education if that that continues. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, you know, there, I have, I have a question about like, Oh, I think it's called the Rebbe initiative. Okay. That's what it's called. Mm -hmm. You know, I wonder if schools say, ah, well, I know that this initiative exists and you know, these Rebbeim are getting additional funds from them. So I don't have to increase their salary. I don't have to pay them as much, you know, and, and are relying on that. Um, you know, I have questions about that, but raising tuition can't be an option. As you know, I, I I'd imagine uh, yeah. you would agree. <laughs> that can't be an option. Uh, no way. Um, I have, yeah, that I've seen. I, I know one school that does this. I'm sure there are others. We lived in Baltimore before. Um, we moved to Cleveland. TA, Telmutical Academy. They've solved a few problems by this one solution. And that is they hire their Rebbeim and their general studies teachers and their Moras full time. And what that means is, this is the controversial piece, some students, the A class, will have the Moody Kodesh in the morning, mm -hmm. English in the afternoon, and the B class has the Moody yes. Kodesh in the afternoon and English in the morning. Now, this yes. solves multiple problems. I have Obviously, nephews who have... go there who go to TA, yes. Oh, yeah, so you're familiar. Yes, and, and also, and in Houston, in Houston, and this I know yeah. personally, in Houston, because like there's very few people that live in Houston that are able to teach. Yeah. Um, the community is small as it is, and uh, it's growing by leaps and bounds. But again, shortage of teachers. That's what they do. They, 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 every grade has the, the fifth grade has uh, a call in the morning, college yep. in the afternoon. Sixth grade has college in the morning. You know, they alternate the grade yep. and the Rebbe teaches fifth grade in the morning, sixth grade in the afternoon or whatever it is. Right. So obviously this can be scandalous. I think it's scandalous in Cleveland. <laughs> no one does it here. Um, first of all, let, let's talk about the benefits. Um, number one, it solves a few problems. You can hire people full-time, give people respectable full-time salaries um, because they're working so many more hours than just you know teaching a few hours in the morning. And that, that will demand a higher salary. Um, number two, there's also a huge crisis. crisis. Sorry for sounding so alarmist. No, no, we, like, we, like, we like alarmists. You like that? Okay. <laughs> um, anyone in education knows, and I spoke to Ari Kramer about this, extensively but i didn't include it in the article is the the, the lack of um, general studies teachers big problem so what you can do is you can hire and also if you're hiring people part-time for general studies as we do you're not getting the best general studies teachers um you're often getting you know retired you know who are not necessarily progressive and with it in terms of educational philosophy and methodology um people can earn more money when they work full-time in education. Why would they want to work part-time except okay, for a from woman, you know, maybe, but in general, especially for non-Jewish secular study teachers. Anyway, you can, you can get fantastic. Your pool is so much larger because now you can hire people full-time for general studies. There are lots of advantages. And honestly, if people are concerned about, you know, the chinuch of this or, you know, values in terms of learning Lumuni Kodesh in the afternoon, I say at least start, again, maybe I might get attacked for this one, at least start with the girls. You know, at least start with girls elementary, girls high school. These girls, I think it's okay. And you can, and by the way, you can also intersperse a schedule where you have one Lumuni Kodesh in the morning, more, class in the morning, and then an English class. And, you know, I think it can work out and it will solve so many problems. So mm -hmm. at least let's start with the girls with a model like that. Okay. Now, in terms of dollars and cents, this wouldn't cost the school more if, if they did that? Um, Good question. Okay, so I'm not an administrator. <laughs> I do not have a master's in administration. Um, and I'm sure someone could answer this question better. Mm -hmm. okay. If I think what would happen is you now would be hiring less teachers because that 
Lumo Decodish teacher is teaching double the amount. You're hiring them full-time, right? Mm-hmm. Versus two part-time teachers, now you've got one teacher that is covering all of those classes. That's mm-hmm. my first, that's my first thought. Right. And would that mean having more kids in the class or more or less classes like more you know, no just, just the teachers there are longer so they're just covering both sets if you will mm-hmm, right okay and, and, if, and, and obviously if you're, say, you're saying that a full-time teacher doesn't get it gets paid less than the cost of two part-time teachers oh that's a good question that is a very good question i don't know i don't right. know but i think um it's easier to find I, someone that's for sure. It's That's certainly easier to find. I'm not sure if it would, you know, be exactly equal or I, I think though, let's talk about tuition discounts. You know, um, oftentimes discounts are not given unless you work, you know, a certain amount of classes, um, whatever they consider full-time, even though it's not full-time, <laughs> you know, it's not the whole day. It might be like four periods or five periods. Every school is different. I think the tuition discount is a, is a very powerful tool for teachers but it needs to be offered as a benefit, not like, oh, our teachers anyway can't afford tuition, so we give them a break anyway. It's part of the benefit package. It's like, it's like you're you're proud that you're working, you know, you're working so hard and you're investing so much in the school that you get a significant tuition discount, and that is a a uh, motivating factor as to why you want to be a teacher in that particular school. And for mm. parents who are teachers, it's like such a great package teaching the kids, right. you know, the school that you teach at, where right. you send your kids to. You send your kids, right. Right, exactly, yeah. And doesn't and the school doesn't have to pay out of pocket for, uh, exactly. for that, that benefit. Okay. Okay, I, I want to bring up another thing. I mean, we, we think about solutions. I, you know, it's a little bit, again, you like to make a ruckus, so let's make a ruckus here. <laughs> uh, my daughters in high school have about 15 teachers a week. And yes. they don't, the teachers don't know their students. Let's be honest. Like when, when, when my wife goes to, to the parent teachers conference, who's your daughter again? And they start looking through papers. It's not possible right. for them to remember that many students. It's just not, they, they just can't like, do we really need so many teachers? Maybe we could eliminate the need for so many teachers. Do, mm-hmm. do, 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 the curriculum for high school sometimes seems like out of touch with reality. None of mm. these subjects are really going to help them. And I shouldn't say none, but very few of these subjects are, are really going to be of much value for them after school. Mm-hmm. I, to the, I will stand up for the students who get bombarded with so much homework when they have 15 teachers. Can you yeah. imagine, mm-hmm. you know, all these students say like, Oh, you think your class is the only class, you know, when teachers give them all this homework, it, I think it's very overwhelming. I think what ends up happening is like they hire this teacher for Hashkapa and this teacher for Navi and this teacher for Mekomish. I think it should be streamlined. I know and the teachers school. are driving around from school to school peddling their right. subject, <laughs> which right. is very inefficient because they're wasting all that driving time in between. They're dealing with so many different schools. It's, 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 it, you know, it's just so yeah. inefficient. That model is so it, inefficient. It, I agree. I know a new school started here in Cleveland, um, Cleveland High School. Um, and that was one of the main one of the main goals was to streamline things and to have less Lumide Kodesh classes like that. And also when you hire a Lumide Kodesh teacher, she can teach Navi. She can teach Kamesh. She can teach Ashkafa. She can teach Tefillah. You don't need one separate teacher to teach all of these things. Right. You know, there can, you can have a block schedule. There are many ways that you can think innovatively about the day's schedule right. where you have um, in high school, you can have a, a double period block schedule. And within that you're learning multiple Lumude Kodesh subjects, and you're getting homework from one person. Right, 
Another idea could be for certain subjects to combine classes. Like we don't need to have necessarily for certain subjects that are just like very technical and it's, they're not really, we, we don't necessarily need a personal connection between the teacher and the student because they're not having that personal connection anyways when they have 15 teachers mm-hmm. a week. Um, certain subjects just combine classes. And then of course, there'll be a main teacher that relates to the students, develops the relationships that's so important for them to, 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 you know, to feel connected for uh, other, other, other times of the day. What do you mean by combined classes? Combining so in, in a school that has 90 kids in a grade. Um, you know, we, instead of having the need for three math teachers, maybe combine math into one mm-hmm. one combined class like they have in colleges, big lecture halls. Mm-hmm. And then there obviously there would be times that, that that the students have individual more a, more a smaller, more manageable size class where it's important for the teacher student relationship to be cultivated. Right. I think this is easier on the high school level. Um, I think, you know, independent instruction and independent learning is something that should be a goal where we should try to move away from that, you know, student, excuse me, teacher-centered model and move more towards a student-centered model. We still need teachers, but, um, you know, facilitators, you can call them, and that can work very well on the high school level. Not sure about the elementary. Right, so we had had on our show, we had actually someone who, in a boys' school, an out-of-town boys' school, he was teaching secular studies uh, subjects. And he told me he didn't prepare. Uh, he didn't He didn't have to master the material himself. What he did was with the school's approval, he came in, he, he had certain pre-screened videos from YouTube that really taught mm-hmm. the material better than he could have taught it himself. Wow. And all he did is help them absorb the material and talk about it and discuss it. And he said, I didn't have to prepare much. I, I just had to find the right video. And the kids got it much better than if I would have just droned on and on and taught them and something great. that I didn't understand myself. Put them to work. <laughs> Teacher walks around the classroom. There are many, many different methods so that students are actually right. getting work done instead of just sitting and listening to a teacher. That yeah. that's old school. <laughs> we mm-hmm. need to move away from that. And I, I, I both on the Moody Kodesh and the Moody Hall. Yes, that definitely. Like this may be like this teacher crisis <laughs> might spur us to you know to, to modernize and innovate on things that really speak to today's kids, which are very much a product of today's generation. That would be incredible. <laughs> I wonder if it's just going to hit rock bottom before we can do that. Okay. Um, speaking of which, Tormasura did tell me that um, in many schools that the market is correcting itself, that it's gotten so bad that the, for the schools who really, really care about this, they've had to pay both administrators and teachers more. How they do it, I can't right. tell you how. But the numbers that she was sharing with me, Tormasora, about administrator salaries, because um, there's also struggles with administ- you know, identifying administrators, were very, very impressive. Um, and we may have to just figure out how we're going to do this because mm-hmm. we need more than warm bodies in the room. <laughs> this, right. You know, if we, we don't have teachers, we, we have a big problem. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's bit, there's a whole, I know there's a whole discussion about in general, and even in the general society that we might, that, that our, as America, we spend too much on education. Like mm. we have, we have kindergarten, nursery, kindergarten, elementary school, high school, four years of, of, of college, postgraduate, a doctorate, and then, and, you know, and, and, and it's seeped into our society as well. It is. You feel the need to send our daughters to, to start off a seminary, $30,000 a year. You know, like what, who said 12, 12th grade is not enough? They have to go there. I mean, it's a wonderful experience. I'm not taking that away. It's certainly a wonderful experience, but at what cost? 
you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, certainly everything can be rethought. It's the question is who is going to be brave enough to to make changes because change is hard, right? Especially in the firm community. Mm-hmm. Um, it comes with a price and people are wary of innovation. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, so before you go, you go, I just wanted to, to touch a little bit on the fuzzy math piece, which was also stimulated yeah. a lot of discussion. It, 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 coming down to, you know, bottom line, what do you think is the primary cause of this issue? Like the, the financial strain on, on families is it tuition? Is that is that the main factor in, in, in the cost of operating a from family? Um, I don't believe it's singular, singularly tuition. You know, from the research that I've done and from, you know, my own experience, I think there are many, many schools that are very willing to work with families to provide tuition breaks um, based on what their income is, based on their expenses. Um, you know, when I say expenses, I'm not talking about because I you know, Lisa Lexus, and because I just renovated my house. So therefore I need the tuition break, a concern of mine, but, um, you know, in general, in general, you know, really hardworking families who try their best, who simply cannot possibly pay the kind of money that's required of them. I think schools work with people. Um, I think it's bottom line down to numbers where, um, we're talking about top 10% of earners. Okay. In 2018 and, you know, in America, top 10%, that salary is $158,000. Okay. The question is family income, a family income, $158,000. If you, the, the, the middle upper class. Okay. That's sort of like, Oh yeah, of course you pay full tuition, right? Like, of course (laughs) that's earning $158,000. You should, you would think like that is enough, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you do the math very quickly for average family of five in the tri-state area. Okay, right. including mortgage, including insurance, including everything that you are paying full ticket price for, Taxes, and yeah. it does not add up. Right. Forget, I mean, I, you know, I live in Cleveland. Honestly, I really have no clue how people make it in the tri-state area, how right. people afford housing. It just boggles my mind. And right. I am not talking about the simchas and the bar mitzvahs and the chasanas and the fun and supporting young marrieds and saving for retirement. I mean, the expenses of a front family are astronomical and $158,000 will not cut it. Are we preparing the next generation of earners to even earn that kind of income? I am not sure about that. What type of education are we providing our breadwinners, um, our young men? Are they equipped to even earn those kinds of salaries? I'm not so sure about that. Mm. Um, you know, a typical guy coming out of a yesh- you know yeshiva and learning in Israel and you know going to kola, and then they come out with four children and they're like, wait a minute, and I can't go, I can't start with an ent- ent- you know forty thousand dollar a year starting entry salary. Well, sorry, <laughs> you don't have much uh, training, education, anything to earn more than that. So our expenses are huge, even those that are earning. Um, are really cutting it very, very tight. And I wanted to focus on that demographic of that middle, middle upper class where it's sort of crazy. Like why it's so tight. Right. Right. It's, 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 it's the thing that people are kind of embarrassed. It's not socially acceptable to talk about. Yeah. Everyone is struggling. You know, it's sort of like the humble brag, like really you earn almost $200,000 and you're complaining. Right. But um, there's no WIC, there's no breaks on medical insurance. You know, sometimes schools do not offer financial um, assistance to families in the $200,000 range. Um, and, you know, like you mentioned, Israel, $25,000, $30,000 a year. But that just like, it just like appears. 
Right. You know, after all of those years of paying tuition and making mm-hmm. simplas, even if they're in modest simplas, right. that, that needs to be saved for. And families are struggling, you know, even in that bracket to to make it at the end of the month. Right. Not that much to save. And you don't just wake up with an 18-year-old that you need to pay, mm-hmm. you know, $30,000 for. And right. that's not even weddings. Not even weddings. Where does mm-hmm. that, how does that happen? So guess what? I'm sure we all, the, 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 the word that I did not address in the issue um, which deserves its own article is the role of debt in the Orthodox community. Right. Yeah, it definitely plays a big part. Nothing to talk about. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so what, what, like, what, what message do we want to, like, what people to, uh. to, to, to be aware from, from this teacher <laughs> shortage? Like, you know, a typical parent who's like, okay, I got a, you're writing $10,000 a month to tuition checks. <laughs> so yeah. they're like, and don't tell me about teacher shorts. That's the school's problem. What does that have to do with me? Right. right? Well, <laughs> you know? well, well, Cleveland has vouchers. You can, of course, come to Cleveland like so many other. <laughs> Not somebody making $200,000 a year, right? <laughs> sure. No, they're government vouchers. You need oh, really? Interview. It's not income based? There is income based, but also if you live in certain districts oh, and, uh, and uh, Cleveland. School districts, yeah. Yeah, the failing school di- districts, you can get a $5,000 voucher mm-hmm. for each child that goes directly to the school, which is mm-hmm. incredible. That's right. the school too. So that's my solution. Okay. <laughs> Vouchers. No, no. Uh, okay. I think we're going to need a lot more teachers in Cleveland now. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> We've had a lot of people moving to Cleveland for this very reason. It's very, very helpful. Right. Um, but yeah, I don't want it to leave it on a depressing note because it, it is. And it's again, if we're ending off with the fuzzy math discussion, that is not going to inspire anyone to go into Hana. Right. That's right. <laughs> that's like these concern. two things don't go together, right? It doesn't go together. <laughs> and I guess this is why it's a perfect storm. And this is why right. this is why we're using the word crisis. It's right. OK. Yeah. I mean, some yeah. very influential, creative fingers out there to tap right. this head on. Mm-hmm. And it's not just about throwing more money at the problem. It's really like I don't think so. It's coming up with a creative solution. Some some of it which which, which we touched on, and some will just hopefully appear soon. Yes, and you know the the idealistic piece. I, I've definitely spoken to young women who say, "I wish I could go into teaching." It's not that I don't want to. It's not that I wouldn't be good at it. It's not that I don't think it's important. It's just that I feel like I can't. And mm-hmm. um, so I, I still believe that we have many wonderful graduates of our base Yaakov's who, you know, have those priorities. Right. Um, and, you know, who see value in it, but also want to get married. <laughs> and because this is the system that we live in and, you know, want to support their families, which is noble, too. Right. Yeah, it is. That's 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 uh, uh, every person's mysterious message is really just getting through the month as a from family. Mm-hmm. It's it's that's today's mysterious message. Nothing to talk about. Well, that that's a nice way to frame it because mm. they're, you know, that that's as I use the word noble. I think there's nothing wrong about that. Right. Okay. This is great. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Continue writing about provocative topics. It's important that people talk about these things that that, that we otherwise would be too embarrassed to bring up. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This is a pleasure speaking with you. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parks. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guests' ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening.